now the podcast starts. Hello, dear listener. Welcome to the podcast on which we talk about horror. Sometimes we talk about other things, and sometimes we do swear. Today, I have the great pleasure of being joined by Kirsty Warrow. Hello, Kirsty. Hello. <laughs> and I am TD Velasquez, but as always, you can call me Dan. How are you doing, Kirsty? I am good, thank you. I'm feeling increasingly festive, so that's good. <laughs> All right, excellent. So, you've got, now you see, now you have to release this episode before Christmas, otherwise it'll sound weird. So. Yes, 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 we don't want it to be dated. Excellent. Um, <laughs> don't worry, we shall. Uh, listener, I, uh, if you've heard the last episode or so, you'll know that, that I've been a little bit ill and my voice was really bad at one point. Hopefully it's a bit better, but it still might be a bit rough. Um, apologies in advance. Um, I'll get through this chat. Tonight's shorter than usual episode is going to be a nice chat between myself and Kirsty on the subject of androids. It's a question of horror. The question is, what is it about androids? Um, and the reason I phrased it like that was because androids have always kind of bothered me, um, but I'm not necessarily put my finger on why um and i thought we could talk about that what mm -hmm. what was your instant reaction to that question kirsty what's <laughs> what is it about androids oh yeah well I mean, um, what, what i mean is um before we think about answering the question i just did it yeah. like did it tickle anything in you have you had well, a, yes um, a, yeah, yeah. A feeling from from kind of android characters or the idea of androids. Yeah. In, in your well, life. Well, I recently I well I say recently I think it, when did it get published? So I got it got it with me now. I wrote a chapter in a book about female vil villains, all about uh, the the sexy fembot archetype. Okay. Um, nice. Uh, yeah, the book that came out this this year. Just looking now, 2022. Yes, that's it. Earlier this year. Um, so, and I looked at the kind of history of uh, the specifically female, gynoid is what they're called when they're female, gynoid. Um, oh, that's interesting. Uh, I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, I'm not sure. Well, because android is male, right? So gynoid is female. Um, okay. So I was kind of interested in, in Ex Machina and, and Westworld particularly, but looking at the sort of history of, of that as an archetype. So I've kind of, I'm interested in on screen kind of post-humanism, transhumanism, and you mm. know, kind of question about AI. So this is right up my street. But when you when you first asked the question, or floated this as an idea, I've got this, I came across, I don't know, it was probably, you know, rumbling around on the internet and looking at things that I probably shouldn't. I came across uh, an article, I'm not being able to find it again, partly because I've not looked too hard because I'm scared. Um, about a Japanese, there's like there's a robot, or there was a robot in Japan because you know Japan and robots. Um, that you basically could um, the sole function was basically to kind of euthanize people by oh, giving gee. them a hug. Yeah, by giving them a very slow hug, and like once you'd sort of initiated it, that was it. That was, you were you were done for. Um, and that has never left me as a sort of an idea about you know kind of robots. Is, is that a real thing that existed? I don't know, but I found it. It it seems plausible. <laughs> right. Uh, um, well, no, yes, yeah, so it's a chilling but, idea. But the idea, yeah, absolutely, and the idea of you know, kind of like wanting to kind of go out in a sort of pleasant way by being hugged 
you know, but essentially the, you know, the kind of grip gets tighter and tighter and tighter and ultimately you are, you are no more. I understand if you didn't read into the specifics of the experience, would the death have been more like being smothered rather than being crushed? I I, 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 I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because smothered seems much yeah, yeah. more well, uh, palatable to know. me. Yeah. Um, no, and I think like the from what I remember, and again, like I said, I've not gone back to it because it did scare the shit out of me. Right. Um, that that you know, the, like the the actual look of the robot was really cute. And I just thought, oh, no, that's wrong. That's really wrong. That's horrible. So, yeah, on some level, I mean, okay, Android, I'm going to take Android to mean anything that has a face. (laughs) Right. Well, yes, Um, I mean, that's an interesting... Humanoid. That's an interesting point of... um, uh, point of discussion isn't it what what how do you define an android i mean i th- i think the technical definition of an android is any robot that's designed to resemble a human yeah. but it doesn't yeah. have to be a very you know uh, convincing resemblance it can be no. you know it can be anything from maria in metropolis to yes. ava in ex machina it can be yeah, up, yeah. um well, even Ava's not a very good example, is it? Because she's kind of no. clearly a machine. Um, but, you know, something like like the Westworld droids, where you can't tell yeah. the difference between no. them and humans. Okay. Are, we, are we also allowed to sort of say, talk about, like, and again, it's not scary, and deliberately not scary, but like, you know, kind of characters like Wally, for example, who, whilst clearly not humanoid, is given sort of humanoid expression and or human-like expression and, you know, Yes, I think Wally is kind of vaguely, uh, you know, humanoid, isn't he? I mean, he's as humanoid as uh, the thing that he's clearly partly modelled on, which is Johnny Five from Short Circuit. So, oh yeah, yes. So that's not he's not on my list. So yeah, uh, early, you know, I think there's a lot of what I realised working this kind of list before we started about ones that scared me is that I've equally got a load of you know kind of robots from you know. Uh, cinema and media history that I really love um, and have a lot of affection for, starting with uh, with Johnny Five. <laughs> okay. Well, as, so, as, I know. suppose my starting point, I think, is on my first reaction is to say that I, I find them less frightening the 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 further from human they look. So yeah, Johnny Five, I've, I found really cute and I, I love him. Yeah. Um, mm. Uh, and and I think that kind of works for me as a rule of thumb. Not that you know anything uh, like a big killer death robot is obviously frightening. It doesn't look much like a human, but um, but yeah, um, uh, but that it's also further th- from being an android. So it's like, yeah. um, do you remember? Do you know the the movie The Black Hole? Yes. the Disney film. So Maximilian, the big red mm. robot with the whirling blades yeah. for arms, um, scared the heck out of me as a child. And the moment where he kills Anthony Perkins, spoilers, yeah. uh, <laughs> stayed with me for um, yeah. forever. Um, and I suppose technically he's about as humanoid as Johnny Five is, but... Um, but he, well, he's he's big and dangerous looking, isn't he? Mm. And and actually, um, the other in short circuit, the other robots that are the same design as Johnny Five, 
take on a scary act aspect just by having the kind of red eyes and things yeah yeah. They? So, yeah um but no, i think absolutely. there's probably something about expressiveness you know yeah. if it can change its expression from uh you know from benevolent to threatening mm. uh whereas maximilian is just scary you know um yeah, yeah. anyway um go on Kirsten. i was going to say that i was just you know again kind of thinking about about this and i and i asked uh my husband uh, I was like, oh, scary robot, go. <laughs> from, you know, really? like, what? Like, from, from, you know, films or stuff, what's, what's you know, your first sort of scary ro- robot? And he went, oh, Terminator. And I was like, yeah, that, you know, kind of particularly yeah. not necessarily, like Terminator 2, not so, not necessarily the kind of Arnold Schwarzenegger version, but the, the who's the actor? The one where, uh, all, you know. Robert kind of Patrick. Um, yeah, yeah. In, in, yeah, and kind of comes out there's a metal, you know, kind of oozy stuff. I'm not explaining myself very well. Listener, yes. I am also ill. Um, <laughs> I remember feeling that, like, that was really scary when I was, you know, kind of watching that when I was 11 or 12 or however old I was. Yeah, the T-1000 is very um, yeah. performance-based, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Because well, the... and again, it's that, that sort of sense of relentlessness, isn't it, is that, mm-hmm. that part of maybe what make, makes these characters scary for us as humans is that they you know generally the representation of, of them is that they lack empathy or sympathy and that they are stronger than us and often cleverer than us and they will not quit you know yes. it's that just keep going whereas you could you know with a, a human or organic uh life form um or threat you could deal with them in several predictable ways <laughs> yes yes whereas um, obviously with advanced technology there's less so uh, which leads me on to I, I was looking again boston dynamics all right Have you i don't seen, recognize that okay so boston dynamics are a robotics company okay um and you can go on youtube and watch uh, uh they do all sorts of kind of robotic stuff um some military stuff as well you can kind of go on youtube and watch some of their their robots in action and those those fuckers. Those fuckers are scary. I'm, <laughs> I'm Googling it right now. Googling it right now. They are kind of, again, not Android, but kind of, you know, certainly kind of animal-like. Um, okay. You know, kind of, yeah. But I'm also passing there. So you're going to get that on my, my side. Um, yeah. They oh, are, I'm, you know, oh kind of, yes. They're sort of yeah. the um, dog-like, the bomb yeah. disposal robot-type machines. Yeah. Right. Yeah, no, oh, those oh. guys, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, what's weird, though, is if you Google them, and there's kind of two different types that generally kind of comes up, and one is the sort of dog type, and one is the biped that, you know, kind of... Yes, I've just seen him jump doing like a star yeah, yeah, jump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The biped one I find much less scary than the dog one, which doesn't appear to have a head. Well, that, that iteration I find much scarier. Yeah, um, I know not, what you mean. Not that's because it's it, it has a sort of insect-like appearance, and so you know, therefore less human. Yeah, well, mm. uh, the, the lack of head um, is insect-like in itself, isn't it? It's like the head is in, within yeah. the thorax kind of thing, um, yeah. and that triggers a, a certain kind of response. So, Kirsty, I suspect. I mean, I know I, I said I said to you. Um, by the way, listener, um, I have noticed that I tend to just change subjects within one sentence and it would be really irritating to listen to. So anyway, what I was thinking of was, um, right, um, so, uh, 
the thing I was going to say to Kirsty was, um, I did mention to you, let's make a list of our most unsettling robots, and, uh, and yeah. I suspect that we could go just go through them, um, yeah. and and possibly, um, you know, uh, go on and on. Um, yeah. But I think you you probably know more about this area than I do. Thought more about it and um, and have a longer list. So maybe I should well, because we've only got limited time as well. Maybe I should mm. ask you what would you really like to discuss in this topic? Oh, okay. Is that is there um, a, an area that you find particularly fascinating? Yeah. So I kind of that th I think particularly over the last twenty years or so we've seen more like. I mean, I know it's always been around, but we've had the, you know, kind of AI crap characters in science fiction for quite mm. a long time. But they've often, you know, it's like HAL, right, from yeah. 2001. They're kind of, they're scary because partly that they're uh, disembodied um, mm. and that they are, you know, so therefore all seeing and kind of, and there's a sort of threatening aspect to that. But increasingly, I think, because of kind of robotic technology, um, that we've seen more and more kind of what seem to be not... Not necessarily, not, not necessarily uh, kind of feasible, but certainly more plausible representations of embodied AIs, um, okay. where the emphasis is more on the AI-ness of them rather than the the entire conception of them just being a you know an android or a robot or whatever. It's about the intelligence, mm. um, which of course is what. Uh, what both Westworld and, and Ex Machina do is explore that idea of the AI technology and the AI and what is AI. And mm. it gets cast, interestingly, it kind of gets cast as a sort of, uh, you know, it's just, they become struggle narratives of the AIs against, uh, against humans. And what we've seen, you know, historically, if you think about things like the Matrix, is that they were always clearly on the human side. Mm. Um, you know, sort of fighting the kind of evil machines. Um, and what's interesting with things like uh, Ex Machina and Westworld, although not limited to those, um, is that we're starting to kind of move into kind of territory where it isn't quite so clear cut. Uh, and the AIs and the, you know, kind of gynoids in particular are often sort of depicted as being, um, you know, kind of oppressed, mm. um, that they exist because of their or they, they come into being, and this is a problematic thing, they come into being in terms of their sentience because of trauma. Right. Um, so, which is really fascinating and really interesting idea to, you know, kind of think about. But what that does is that positions us as spectators often to kind of go, well, look at the human race, they're fucking terrible. So, so just you give know. me an example of, of what you mean by they come into being through trauma. Um, so there's a kind of, in, in Westworld in particular... So, kind of when I was writing, I was focusing very much on season one and season two. Um, that there's kind of bits where that the. the have you, I've seen season one. Okay, so season one. So we have the. Um, just skip the bit. Um, and I love have, it, by the way. Uh, yeah, the Anthony Hopkins kind of creator character, um, mm. who is so it's, there's there's two there's Ford and Arnold who are working together. Yeah. To, to kind of create the the droids in the in the yeah the hosts in the park and they it becomes obvious that they have very very different ways of sort of thinking about it um, or you know kind of reasons for doing it but um, that 
Hold on a second. So, uh, can I just read you a bit? Is that sure? <laughs> I just don't think I'm going to be able to sort of, uh, uh, you know, kind of uh, describe this or verbalise it as well as I spent six months putting it together on a page. So, sure. Westworld in- <laughs> encourages the definition of post-human life and leans heavily into the idea that sentience existence is rooted in trauma. Um, in the bicameral mind, Ford tells Bernard that I- Arnold has realised that suffering was the key to the host's awakening. Correspondingly, Dolores and May's traumatic recollections help endorse their realness for the viewer, particularly as we're told that the host can't remember, uh, sorry, can't dream or remember their past loops. Increasingly, Westworld asks the viewer to understand that the host's cognizance of their own past suffering legitimizes their existence and that the disjointed narrative structure is an effective alignment uh, strategy. Uh, so Calvin, uh, so Clivin and Lacase argue that Westworld interpolates viewers into the headspace of trauma survivors, the hosts, whose traumatic experiences disrupt the sense of security and safety, with fear and, and uncertainty haunting their minds for years. So that idea of sort of, tra- you know, trauma is, you know, it casts those characters as victims within their wider narratives. So we see this in Exactly as well. Um, uh, yes, um, that was a, a lovely extract. Thank you for that exclusive, Kirsty, as well. So yes, of course. Um, so in Westworld, um, the uh, androids only gain sentience because of the cycle of abuse that they are yes. subjected to, isn't it? it yeah. It, well, uh, which they're not supposed to, be, like, as yeah. you say, be able to remember. But so they they are but repeatedly they killed and. Yeah. Uh, yes, of course, and and that yeah. leads to the uh, the androids uh, developing a consciousness. Yeah, um, in that absolutely. Series. And it's, it's similar in 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 Ex Machina, although not as explicitly stated. But we see how the um, Oscar Isaac character, you know, kind of particularly with Kyoko, who I find is a really interesting character. She's the she's the, the other gynoid who we don't realise is a gynoid until later in the film, who mm-hmm. is you know so she doesn't speak which is interesting for a range of different reasons we don't have <laughs> time to go into here, I think. Um, but we don't necessarily, or we're not positioned to sort of clock her as a, a as a, a, an android gynoid initially. But she seems to be sort of moving all through the narrative with increasingly with her a sense of her own agenda. She's in places that you think, well, what are you doing there? Um, and she does things and Garland sort of puts the camera in places where you kind of go, oh, okay, so I'm, I'm becoming really aware of her listening or her presence within a particular scene. And what we know, what we keep getting shown is that it, it is, he's horrible to her. He's really dismissive mm. and belittling and abusive to her. Um, and, you know, whilst also using her, you know, in a myriad of different ways, mm-hmm. not least to do the best dance scene, arguably, in cinema history, um, <laughs> yes, in my opinion. But in, you know, in, in the end, when she, you know, she stabs him in the back, it mm-hmm. seems like a totally rational and reasonable and mm-hmm. supportable thing for her to do because we've just seen her kind of all the way through just be, you know, kind of, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, belittled by him, so... And therefore, it's a, yeah. there's a parallel between uh, the the androids gaining consciousness, and the, uh, they're like child abuse victims, aren't they? Who yeah, uh, who, well, who, who move from domestic abuse particularly. Well, but, but what I mean is, if abuse starts 
uh, when the person that the, the victim is sufficiently young and inexperienced in life yeah. for a while they're able to accept the abuse because they don't think it's abuse they think it's just normal yeah. but it's a yeah. gradual awakening and a, a realization that this is not acceptable yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and that's what those series and that film um, uh, posit as a way of bringing about consciousness and I mean it um, yeah, I had not quite thought of it like that, um, but it does seem to me. Uh, well, it, it's obviously emotionally compelling to the viewer because we, the the audience, kind of understand the emotions before the the droids do, and therefore yeah. we're, we're 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 watching them develop. Um, so you, you've mentioned those two texts as examples of um, kind of uh, AI consciousness being related to trauma. Is, is that something which has recurred elsewhere? Um, I, well, I mean, it's interesting because I, 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 when I was writing and researching, kind of focused particularly on that mm. uh, as, a, as something that seems quite distinctive in the way in which contemporary texts are thinking about that but if you, you, you or kind of talking about um ai and you know kind of post-human bodies and post-human existence and kind of you know i suppose prepping us in some way towards whatever this moment where we you know kind of <laughs> where the singularity occurs and you know suddenly we're all in lots of trouble um <laughs> and, you know kind of ai <laughs> ai intelligences um and yeah so it, what's Another thing I noted down as well, and I'm not sure if we're, if we're talking about AI, then um, um, have you heard of, it's Loeb, I think her name is. Have you heard of this? Um, so oh. there is, uh, yeah, it's an AI sentience. Right. She exists in, uh, in AI art. Okay. She's kind of, and she's, uh, it's a, yeah. Oh so she's a she's program a re- uh, to, to no, use No, 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 the- she's not. Yeah, so she's not a program. So what what she was, and I need to make sure that I kind of get this right, because I'm, 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 it's something that I've that become quite interested in recently, is that um, she is a, an entity that has developed um, out of a process where the person who um, created her didn't intend to create her. They're okay. using what's called negative prompts. Right. So, which is basically where you, um, it, it's basically when you feed something into an AI image generator in this case, and you are looking for like the opposite okay. of that, like the, the entirely the opposite of that image. So, um, one I'm just looking at now. So, this is, uh, yeah, kind of 31 year old uh, artist called Steph Swanson. Um, he's known online as Super Composite. She was experimenting with some of the AI image generation tools. And so she asked for uh, an, or used a negative prompt to get the kind of opposite of Marlon Brando, weird place to start. Okay. And then that was, that produced a, um, a, like a business logo. Okay. Yeah. And then, so she then took the, a, the business logo and then use I think an AI pro an AI prompt to get the uh, 
yeah, a, ne a negative um, prompt for the reverse of that, if that makes any sense. So yeah, yeah. having got that image from negatively prompting the AI towards... Uh, Away yeah, from, from Brando. Marlon, from Mando, yeah. Then seeing what happened when you did the same again, you know, thinking, well, maybe then that will create a, you know, maybe we'll get back to Brando. Um, but no, we, so then we have this image of four images that came out of that of the same woman who are really distinctive. So she seems to be in her middle age. She looks really, really sad. She's got dark hair. She's distinctive because either she has like dark eyes or she's got really, really red cheeks. Um, okay. And, you know, she appears in very horror context. And she has as this kind of image just, you know, kind of proliferated the internet now. <laughs> so um, she is entirely in, yeah. created by yes. a yeah, machine yeah. intelligence. Yeah, yeah. And so um, and so she's yeah, so she's sort of kind of virally spreading in AI kind of art circles and she keeps right. kind of turning up in weird places and things that are you know, it's all this is all kind of AI based, but it sort of feels kind of quite it feels almost like a, a sort of web haunting. Yes. Um, and the images are always really kind of horror based. Sometimes they're more kind of dreamlike and more abstract and other they are, you know, kind of really, 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 you know, kind of, you know, you would you would expect them to see them in a Blumhouse film or right. whatever. Okay. Um, but what's really interesting is that recently um, another AI um, uh, kind of program basically kind of, um, well, somebody tried to see if they could speak to her. So we're into sort of host territory now of kind of digital, right. you know, kind of seance spaces. Um, so, yeah, somebody tried to get get uh, another AI to speak on Loeb's, Loeb's behalf. Okay. So, uh, and so the, the responses to that are really interesting. Uh, they asked her a load of questions and, you know, so they, one of the questions that they asked her uh, is uh, if you so she's often depicted with children so they ask if you are the archetype of a mother then why are you so often surrounded by injured and dead children which is a recurring theme in the, in the images she appears in hmm. and she, they, that this is what Loeb says apparently through this AI generator is that I think that the AI is trying to create a contrast between the ideal of the mother and the reality of, of a mother in reality, mothers often have to deal with sick and injured children, as well as the death of children. And then they ask, right. so what can we learn from the fact of your existence? Um, and she says, I guess maybe that we can learn that AI is capable of creating things that we don't yet fully understand. <laughs> wow. It's not at all scary. <laughs> so Lave is, a, is a, a, an internet rabbit hole that you can kind of go down um, and, so, you know, uh... and follow her. So are all these, all many of these images and things are available on, online? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Reddit is sort of dedicated to her. There's lots of news coverage about her, and it's fascinating. <laughs> if you can send me the links to them, yeah. I shall yeah, post yeah. them in the show notes. Yeah. That yeah, is. Really so let me just take you back a couple of steps. Yeah, so, sorry, I've gone I've done a rabbit hole. Which is, no, 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 just, <laughs> just because I want to make sure I understand correctly. So when it came to, sure. you know, uh, to get to the point where they can ask her questions, what did they do? They, so they asked an artificial, a, a different artificial intelligence. Yeah. 
to speak to what? You can't speak to the images, okay. can you? So well, what are they no. speaking to? Uh, let me just see if I can find some news reportage about this. Um, so, uh, okay. Oh, okay, so this is actually from uh, ABC News. So this is, they did it, I think, as a stunt. So another programme, GPT-3 generates human-like speech. And we asked it to speak on, so it is a, an AI programme. We asked it to speak on Loeb's behalf by intimidate, um So it, it kind of interprets uh, the yeah. pictures. Yeah, yeah, basically. Uh, and imitating her through the kind of, the, its own AI tools. So just um, the so, fact that it can do uh, that yeah. is quite frightening, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I could, yeah, I could ask it to interpret my coffee cup, and what does yeah, that yeah. mean? And just the fact that it can turn its attention to any given thing and verbalise what it yeah. sort of what it thinks about them. That's, yeah. That should be extraordinary in itself. That's really quite frightening. Yeah. Um, okay. So they asked, the first question they asked her is, is, who are you? And she says, I'm Loeb. I don't really know who I am or why I'm here. I just know that I appear in these images for some reason. Maybe I'm a figment of the imagination of whoever is creating these images. Or maybe I'm some sort of digital entity that exists within the AI itself. <laughs> wow. That's yeah. incredible. And did yeah. the program come up with the name Loeb, or was that given so, to it? Loeb, so it's L-O-A-B, if listeners don't want to wait for the link and they want to come, come and go and find this for, herself, uh, for themselves. So um, it's because, so once she appeared uh, in in an image with, which had some sort of garbled text, which, which spelled the word Loeb, and that's the name that stuck. All right, okay. So okay. It's, it's not meaningful. But, you know, so properly, like, you know, nightmare fodder images, the label images. So. That's fascinating. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's talk for a minute about... Because that is just... Um, I know. So much to get into, but let's talk for a minute about why that is frightening. Because, it, you know, in a way, you know, on its face, uh, maybe it isn't too frightening. It's a nice creature that can think, but let's let's dig into... How, how that undermines us as sentient beings. Yeah. What do you think it is about the, the idea that there is this intelligence, uh, or there are there, there is the possibility of intelligences within our, I don't know how to phrase it really, online or within the, oh, the collective reality of uh, of AI where. Well, yeah. Basically, it seems like there are creative and interpretive intelligences similar to human intelligences. Um, mm. yeah. What is it about um, that that makes that so it's, chilling? Uh, you, know, it's, it, you know, they could be our friends, but it's quite frightening, isn't it? Yeah. Um, was it Asimov who talked yes, about that? Yes, Isaac Asimov created the, the three laws of robotics. Yeah. Uh, but basically, it, it, it's hard baked, isn't it, into those yeah. rules that like the, the robots can't do us harm, um, uh, which is it's a very, very reassuring structure, uh, an idea. Um, uh, and I think, you know, when it kind of gets to kind of AI intelligences, that it's, you know, that idea of what is best for us is, you know, if, if it's, if that's something that can be enacted, like what's best for us? Who gets to choose that? And you know, and kind of, you know, what, 
that sort of individual liberty is at threat, isn't it? And our kind of right to continue because, you know, I think we, it's threatening because as a species, we know we're fucking everything up and we're not very good at, at speaking. Mm. But we're not very good at thinking as a collective about what's good for the collective species and the planet and sustaining the planet um, because we're all selfish little fuckers who want to make sure that we, you know, kind of get everything that we want in our own lives. Um, so I think kind of AI, uh, you know, kind of envisaging a future where I, AIs get to be in charge of us and don't maybe let all of us live um, is a, a really mm-hmm. unsettling kind of prospect. Um, even if they're doing it for the best for the planet and the species and all of that kind of stuff, it's you know it's that individual liberty versus. And the fact that the intelligences thing, are showing creativity um, and interpretation that suggests that they're able, or they yeah. will be able to make their own decisions that go beyond the kind of directives that we would wish for them um yeah yeah and and i mean but it's yeah i mean there's so many different applications of ai isn't there and it's it but it's the the qualities that they have either whether they're embodied or disembodied that seem human-like which is what is scary so you know this obviously kind of links to the idea Mm. of the kind of uncanny valley which, you know, uh, so I don't I decided to play <laughs> Valley there in a slightly worse way, not intentional. Uh, no, it, it's simply the nicest way to say the word Valley, the Ungani Valley. It is, isn't it? It is. You know, <laughs> and I also live quite close to the border, so, you know, I kind of, it, mm. it slips in. I hear, I hear that accent most days. Um, so uh, the idea of the Uncanny Valley, which kind of comes from, is it a kind of roboticist called Masahiro Mori, um, who was trying to explain the kind of, you know, the that kind of quality that we kind of need we need robots to look enough like us so that we can Mm. imbue them with the kind of qualities that are useful to us um and but we need but they can't look too much Mm. like us because that's too scary you know so they can't be completely convincing in their human-like appearance um and but yeah yeah so there's this horrible kind of there's a graph isn't there the uncanny valley this little kind of moment in the intersection of trying to look make something look like a human, where it's like, oh, hell no! Yeah, well, I, I think it, it's the point at which it's almost convincing, but not quite. That's what... Yeah, I mean, if it's not, completely convincing, you don't mind enough. because you don't know it's a robot, you, you know? But but if it's just not quite yeah. right... Like, I uh, if it's like uh, yeah. the digital Peter Cushing in Star Wars Rogue One, for instance... Um, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But that for me, that just seems pathetic, rather than just you know, it's like, oh, it's not, it's, you know, it's not good enough yet, you know. But um, again, I've not seen the film yet. Obviously, I don't think it's it's out, or at least I've not seen it. If it's if it is out, okay. is the new Blumhouse film Megan, where they're doing that whole seven thing, but with the you know, like Seven did with the number seven in the middle of the title, where it's three oh, in as as the E in Megan. Uh, about a kind of, uh, yeah, an AI girl. Um, and I, I'm, I'm not, again, I've not looked into the technology that they, they use to turn a realise her on screen, but she looks. Right. So is she, I mean, uh, is she a physical being in the film or is she just like a face on a screen or? No, she's a right. physical being in the in the film. Um, right. And she is played by an actual actor, um, from what I can kind of gather. 
but that there's something you know clearly they digitally augmented the the um uh the physical performance okay. so that she looks like a kind of porcelain doll so if you've ever seen those American girl dolls, and there's no reason why you would have done, Dan. <laughs> Thank um, you. But <laughs> Bless you for but your faith. As, 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 a, as a parent and as somebody who's been to, to the States, um, the American doll girl, uh, American girl dolls, these, you know, kind of big quarter size, um, not big quarter size, but they're, you know, kind of, um, they're bigger than regular dolls, and you can get them in all sorts of different kind of appearances, and they come with little stories. It's, and, it's okay, you know, Kirsty. And, uh, I've yeah. seen the movie Lars and the Real Girl. Are we talking about that yeah. kind of thing? Right. That yeah, kind of. So Megan looks like a like a hellish version of an American girl doll. Right. Um and the yeah, in the trailer she looks oh god no. Just <laughs> definitely uncanny valley territory. Well it's because um and yeah, oh, and it's a horror. So you know it's all gonna go a wrong. A little bit like um I haven't seen the film but the lead character in the in the Robert Rodriguez James Cameron movie what's it called? Oh Alita. Yeah. Alita. Yeah, a little bit like that but you know they were clearly kind of going trying to go for oh sort of slightly cutesy and 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 you know kind of sympathetic with that uh, yes, particular character. Yes. But I mean it's um, whereas this is this is going the other way. Right, okay. Because um it, 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 I do think even if you are you are trying to be cutesy with it you are dabbling in dangerous waters when you only slightly yeah. modify a human yeah. actor you know if you use digital technology to make their eyes slightly further apart than they would be and things yeah. like that you know yeah um no this looks yeah, yeah right. okay um that's that's mm. one to yeah no it's coming out. Out in, coming out in january this that's what wikipedia is currently telling me and that listeners is the, the quality of the source of the research that we do on this show <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, um, we're podcasters. We're, we're certainly not above <laughs> googling as we go. No, um, no. Uh, no, that's great. Uh, um, I, yeah, I, I think. Um, I mean, going back to more kind of primitive cinematic technology, there is always something just a, a, a little bit unsettling about. Uh, just uh, it basically looks like a person but with slightly more plasticky skin uh like yeah like a mannequin oh, no, or, yeah. you know um yeah or like um like the brief bits in the movie westworld which was obviously made yeah. in in the early 70s yeah. where, where um your brunner gets his face knocked off and oh yeah. actually you know what i think is really creepy in that movie uh is not any of the even though it is very frightening um, and I love the film but possibly one of the most chilling bits for me is just when the, the, the robots are being repaired and they just take their faces mm -hmm. off and leave their, the heads open on the operating yeah, yeah, yeah. table oh God, yeah. Um, yeah. and it's that immediate collision between the mechanics inside and the human like surface of it um, which yeah. uh, is yeah. it, it's wonderful to me now that because CGI has moved uh, so far forward that we can have that um, more kind of crisply visualised so you've got like Ava in Ex Machina oh, yeah, where yeah. she looks completely human facially but you can yeah, see through except, her arms yeah. and, um, which I think the first movie to try and do that was probably Steven Spielberg's AI, 
which I remember seeing that. Yeah, which I was gonna. Yeah. I mean, it, I I remember seeing the trailer for that, and and I think the first shot was female looks like an ordinary woman running towards the camera but as she gets up close she looks to one side and you realize you can see through her side of her head um yeah. and um although it is chilling uh, there's something um very um disturbing about the collision mm. of of humanity and technology and and, and yeah. beauty and functionality and things like that but also i just remember the feeling like yes they can do it because this was the kind of thing that you know uh, a painting on the cover of a sci-fi novel might visualize this kind of thing but yeah, yeah. But until you know the year 2000 you never got it moving Unless yeah. it was in the cartoon. Um, no, absolutely. So... And actually, can I, if I just? The, the, there's uh, much like Ian watching. Uh, Son and I watching uh, Peripheral uh, on Amazon at the moment. Oh, yeah. So that is the next show from the same from uh, Lisa Joy and um, uh, not Christopher Nolan, the other Nolan, Jonathan Nolan. Nolan that's yeah. it. Um, who did Westworld? Um, and it's their their new show. And they have these again. They're kind of like I suppose they're a little bit like the sort of the faceless host in, in Westworld, but, but yes, again, slightly different. And the idea of it in the show is that in this sort of future world that you can kind of, like, it, it, yeah, inwardly project faces onto those uh, visages oh, okay. to make them look like people. Right. It's just kind of interesting, again, that sort of sense of a, you know, kind of an automaton that you can kind of manipulate in different ways. So, yeah, I mean, I think visual effects technology is doing wonders for our ability to kind of put these characters on screen, yes. and that's, that's great. Um, can I just come back to two, two early references, though, just because I, I, I just feel like, for me, my journey with these characters starts in a couple of different places. One, um, honourable mention to The Stepford Wives. Okay, yeah, yeah. 1975. Um, but, you know, as a sort of kind of feminist, like, uh, you know, and it's, yeah. The kind of the idea of, of, of men, you know, wanting replacing their actual wives who are, you know, full of personality and will and, yes. you know, disobedience with, uh, yeah, with kind of mannequins is deeply unsettling. Um, and a beautiful film, a wonderful performance by Catherine Ross. Yeah, um, a slow burn chiller. The original. The, yeah, 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 yeah. But the original, uh, yeah, Brigitte Helm as uh, Maria and false Maria in Metropolis. That whole, like, I mean, where we would not be having this conversation if it wasn't for Fitzgerald and Propolis and, and that film. And she mm-hmm. is, when she's in false Maria mode, both in the suit and outside of it, she is so utterly chilling, mm. utterly chilling. And the idea that, you know, kind of particularly a, you know, a kind of a sexy woman, a sort of firebrand is enough to kind of bring down most, <laughs> most society <laughs> is, you know something that we're still dealing with you know <laughs> i think uh, yeah um yeah fair enough um no uh, those are wonderful examples uh, i i uh, i knew we were gonna have to talk talk about maria um at some point in this conversation uh you can't yeah. not and um it's an incredible performance and obviously an incredible design and also um yeah. The design of Maria, which has obviously influenced uh, humanoid robots throughout 
cinematic history. Um, but also, I think uh, Brigitte Helm, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, as, as somebody with German relatives, uh, Kirsten. Brigitte. Brigitte, thank you. Um, Brigitte, yeah. Uh, I knew you'd be able to correct me on that. Um, yeah, I think she's a pioneer simply for getting into that costume. You know, she was probably oh God, yeah. the first actor to have to deal with that. Um, God knows how many hours it took to get it on. You know, um, it, in the 1980s, it took eight hours a day for Peter Weller to get into Robocop. So so heavens knows how how... Oh, how horrible it would have been to, to get yeah. into that contraption to play Maria and then to get into that suit of armour and give a performance um, yeah. uh, is amazing. Um, yeah, iconic, iconic. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> so um, we've only just touched the surface of, of this um, this area, which, um, yeah. uh, you know, it... Uh, I find, I, I know I always say at the start of the episode that sometimes we talk about horror and sometimes we don't, and, and we obviously have a lot of horror-adjacent stuff. Um, mm -hmm. But whatever genre a story professes to be, if it has a humanoid robot in it, I am excited and fascinated and a little bit scared. Mm -hmm. um, I mean... I think this might be the point that I'll end on. A movie that always... I, I was always too scared to watch as a child and probably still am is a, a, a not well-remembered movie called Daryl. Do you remember that? No. Oh, Daryl. Sorry, I thought you said Barrel. No, I do remember Daryl. I do. Do you remember what Daryl no. stands for? No, because... No. Uh, it's... <laughs> Uh, Sun probably does. <laughs> uh, it's something <laughs> like di digitally animated I'm gonna, I'm gonna robot youth life form. Um, oh, no, that, that's... Hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, 19... Hold on. 1985 science fiction film. Um, so Wikipedia's trying to make me give money at the moment. And I'm oh, they're doing that a lot no. at the moment. Uh, Bless them. So, yes, they are. I mean, I'm like, Bless them, and I get it. I get it. Uh, data analyzing data robot analyzing. use life form. So you were you were partially there. Yes. So that's like out of, out of the you know the recesses of your mind. That's really impressive. Thank you. I bet an AI could remember quicker though. But you know, uh, un undoubtedly. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so that's just a. I think that the story is clearly like a cash in on ET kind of thing. My special friend, who's not really a human, who's you know, he's yeah, yeah. magical, but. I was just scared yeah. of it because I thought at some point they're going to knock his face off or knock his arm off and mm. you're, you're going to see cogs underneath. Um, and yeah. that I always find very chilling. Um, obviously, that doesn't really happen, happen in it, but um, I think... But the fear was enough. Yeah, it, it could, <laughs> at any moment. that You know, the thing about um, humanoid robots, androids, is the ones that look fully human is that they're concealing mm. their true nature. And um, even if they're benevolent characters, that's always mm. a, um, an unsettling prospect, I think. Yeah, there's actually a bit in the... Hold on, I've got my book down now. 
but the, there's a kind of concept that I, I found whilst researching this about the what's called the the Heligan Other. All right. Um, which, which, if you just give me a second, I'll find it. Hmm. Uh, yeah. So it's the idea that um, that there is a kind of you know that a lot of these characters are you know so obviously with horror we often talk about the idea of othering mm-hmm. um, and the different ways in which characters can be othered and made different and so therefore kind of threatening. Um, yeah, so uh, Edward Sampson's idea of the, the uh, Heligan Other, which needs is an other that needs to be destroyed in order to maintain a normal functioning, mm. uh, you know, society. And so the you know the kind of the idea of the the um, the android, or particularly gynoids, kind of often, you know, kind of present as a you know a threat in a narrative to that order, which is often kind of conceived as a, a patriarchal mm. thing. Um, and then there's another really interesting um, uh, scholar called Donna Haraway. He talks about the idea of the kind of cyborg. Oh, okay. Um, and the sort of cyborg, are kind of a bit interchangeable, aren't they? Kind of androids and cyborgs in relation to cause science fiction anyway. Um, but she talks about how the kind of cyborg is this... Uh, um, <clears throat> um, or is it? Oh, I can't find it. All of a sudden, um, but yeah. So that she, the, 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 it's a kind of the character, or the cyborg is a, a kind of an ironic character that exists to, you know, deliberately challenge the kind of social orders of patriarchy mm-hmm. and of um, capitalism and of you know kind of militaristic kind of way of the way in which the the, the world is is ordered. Um, and so, kind of part of just to come back to to, to my, my chapter. Um, yeah. uh, Full circle, <laughs> beautiful. Yeah. I know, lovely segue there. Um, but just the, the sort of way that that you know the kind of the that those characters, in particular the female ones, have become more sympathetic in our eyes as as viewers. Kind of mirrors the fact that you know, kind of feminist values are more. Um, more accepted as part of our kind of dom- dominant Western ideology. Um, and so either those, you know, characters can continue to be kind of seen as threatening um, or we can kind of get on board and support them. And so therefore kind of those values then become part of our dominant ideology and so therefore le- less threatening. Um, and then the things that make them threatening are less about their gender and more about kind of, you know, technological issues. But yeah, it's really, it's, yeah. Fascinating. Anyway, I'll shut up, Dan. I'll shut up now, Dan. No, I won't. <laughs> shut well, me up. Well, uh, bless you, Kirsty. I'd hate to do that, although I'm going to have to because we're coming close to our time. But, yeah, yeah I, I, I think yeah. that um, um, in terms of the android subverting societal controls, there's something about the fact that um, the way you control societies is by dividing people up into kind of pigeonholes and... Mm. The the android by being one thing but looking like another mucks all that yeah. up. So that's kind of you know um, it's it, it it troubles the system. Um, that, yes, much much like where the other other social groups currently in our you know public eye also trouble the system. But the system just needs to fucking get over it. I'll be honest. <laughs> yes, well, oh, I, 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 absolutely. <laughs> the system is always resistant to change. But it will change anyway. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, very quickly, there's a wonderful quote I've, be, uh, I've discussed on um, 
uh, with Ian on the podcast that um, I've, I've been watching The West Wing for the first time. And there was uh, obviously The West Wing is 20 years old. Um, it's, it's amazing. It's so amazing. It is wonderful. Um, and um, yeah, I'm loving it. Uh, there's the episode where they're dealing with the um, the, the issue of, uh, I guess, it's trans people in the military now, but they relate it back to um, uh, African-American people in the military in the 50s. And there's a major character in the show who is an admiral played by John Amos, who's a black man. And somebody says... Mm -hmm. we, we don't want to introduce these kind of groups into the military unit because it would disrupt the unit and he says that's the same thing they said about people like me when I was a young man But and you know what, we did disrupt the unit and guess what, it needed it the unit will be fine, it'll, it'll change um, and yeah, still relevant it's it's beautifully yep. written show Um that I, yeah. I shall mention any opportunity, even on an ostensibly horror podcast. So, yeah, Kirsty, I think that's a wrap for this chat about yes. androids and AI. Um, uh, we found new things to be scared of and and, and fascinated by, and a topic <laughs> that I think you ha you have. I'm just yeah. well, yes, you've you've given me new nightmares. Bless you. Uh, I'm always looking for them. So uh, wonderful. Um, all right. Listener, we'll be we'll come back to this topic. I feel sure. Um, this is not the only episode that you're going to be hearing in the near future or during this period. But for now, anyway, we wish you a wonderful festive period. You dated the podcast at the start, Kirsty, so I'm going to date it at the end. Um, yeah. We'll be back soon, both of us and others. Um, in the meantime, stay well and uh, and have a wonderful time. Thank you so much, Kirsty. Pleasure. Thank you, Dan. You have been listening to And Now the Podcast Starts Produced and released by Ambidextrous Solutions Limited Presented by Kirsty Warrow and T.D. Velasquez Special thanks to Greg Hume for our original theme music and to Brian Gorman for our original artwork all dialogue and music clips from films, TV shows, and trailers are used for the purposes of criticism in the spirit of fair dealing as defined in UK law and fair use as defined in US law. No copyright infringement is intended. Please visit our home on the web, www.andnowpodcast.com for more content and contact details. Or visit our Facebook pages, at andnowpod, or at Lee Cushing Pod. Follow us on Twitter at And Now Podcast or at Lee Cushing Podcast. If you'd like to donate to us, please visit patreon.com forward slash And Now Podcast. And now the podcast stops.